Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is your host for today's episode, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazanoble. In our first segment, we'll be speaking with author, journalist, and gamer David Ewalt, whose book of Dice and Men has recently come out in paperback. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you guys doing? We are very good. Very happy to have you on our podcast. It's been a while since we chatted. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. I listen to the podcast every time it comes out, so this is cool. Oh, good. Yeah, it's been on a little bit of a hiatus while we were launching the new edition and then the new website and then convention season rolled around. Uh, but we're looking to get back on a definitely more regular schedule for that. Well, on behalf of all the listeners, that's awesome. Keep it up. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks. Excellent. So, Dave, as uh, Bart mentioned in his intro, you do have a robust resume of you're a journalist, you're an author, but more importantly, you're a gamer. So, and I know you have a, a, a long history with D&D, and for anyone who, who might not have read the book yet, um, I don't know why that would be, but tell us a little bit about your, your D&D history. Well, I started playing D&D when I was in third grade, so that would make me, what, nine or ten years old, and, and I remember it pretty wrong. well, I remember it was at my friend Scott's house, and, uh, you know, normally we'd hang out, you know, do whatever, you know, being nine-year-old boys probably throw rocks at each other, that kind of thing. But uh, he was like, hey, you know, my, I, my brother has this game uh, where you get to be wizards. Do you guys want to try it? And we're all like, um, yeah, sure, okay. And he had the old uh, red box edition of D&D, and we tried it out that afternoon. We played through the Keep on the Borderlands, and it was just awesome. We were all instantly addicted. And with that close group of friends of mine, I mean, that became my D&D crew. I mean, every time we hung out, you know, usually almost every weekend, we'd get together, we'd play some D&D, and we did for, for many years. With the same group of friends? Yeah. I mean, we, we yeah. uh, you know, people came and go, you know, as they grew up. But, you know, there was a core group of guys all the way through high school that I played in role-playing games with. It wasn't all just one campaign you know we, we you know played different editions of D&D we played a lot of pre-written modules you know sometimes one of us would try to write up a little campaign and we'd run that we played other role-playing games too but it was in you know, the role-playing games were, were a constant presence through my childhood yeah I think the single best marketing for the game back in the day was always somebody's brother right yeah. so if we can figure out a way to fit one of those in every box then we're, <laughs> we're golden yeah, it was always it. Yeah, like the, my brother has this mysterious game, and you get to be a wizard and all. Of, yeah, you always. I love hearing these stories. I think that that's some of the the most fun parts about D and D's history. Yeah. And to think, you know, that was, I don't know. I mean, I'm imagining third grade was a while ago for you, but D and D's been it's been continuing on, and now there's probably a whole new generation of third graders that are unearthing the new starter set for the first time oh yeah somebody's brother yeah and i talked to a, a lot of people you know when i was writing the book and now the book has come out i talked to a lot of parents who are like i'm so excited my son or daughter just turned eight years old i think they're old enough now i'm going to sit down and play some D D with them so there's all sorts of new av i mean that would have never happened when i was playing the game in you know 1984 or whatever parents weren't going to introduce me to it but it's so cool now that like there's parents who love the game and are now showing it to their kids 
Yeah, so is eight, do you think eight is the sweet spot? Is that the right time to introduce your kid to D&D? I think it's probably around there. I think, you know, when you're a, a little younger, you, you know, I, I went to a class. There's a guy here in New York City where I live who uh, has a has a, a business where he'll come and like run like a D&D birthday party for your kids and things like that. And oh, he also, he did an after school session at his son's elementary school. And I went up there and watch him run a little D&D session for a classroom full. There was probably like 15, 20, eight year old kids and they were super into it. Now being eight year olds, their intention spans were pretty short, but, yeah. uh, but they definitely got it. They understood what was going on. They wanted to play and they got very excited. Well, so much of it, of D&D really is inherent to a child. I mean, it, it is, it's role playing. It's, you know, you are imagining being something else and using just straight up imagination and loosey goosey rules and just telling stories. And that's what, that's what kids like to do anyway. Yeah, and I think they embrace the game instantly because it is so familiar. Sometimes with when older people are just playing the game for the first time, it takes them a minute to sort of unwind and be like, all right, well, I, you know, it's okay for me to to act differently, to pretend, to perform. And it's not something you get to do in everyday adult life, so it takes you a little bit longer to get into it. Yeah, I mean, if you tell a kid, okay, be a wizard, then they're just going to be a wizard and an adult might have like, oh, like in front of everybody? Like, yeah. Do I have to use an accent? I don't know what to do. But. Well, plus for kids, uh, you don't have to say, well, don't worry, you're not going to get anything wrong. Right. Just play, do what you would like to do as an adventurer. You're not going to lose the game. You're all playing this together. You're trying to cooperate together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and we, we do hear a lot of stories from, similar stories from teachers and parents, librarians who are bringing D&D into the schools and, and really using it as a way to, to teach kids because there's so many things that they, they can learn. I mean, so many skills with the math and the reading and uh, research and um, just even helping kids break out of their shyness and, mm-hmm. and that they don't even realize that they're doing it because, of course, they're just playing a game. So, mm-hmm. so I'd uh, ask again, you started the game as a... Uh, as a youngster, but in sort of the arc of the book, you had left it for many years. Uh, how did you get back to the game? So when I went off to college, I really didn't, you know, I, I lost my friends who I always played D&D with, so I didn't have people to play with anymore, and I you know, started working on the school newspaper and stuff like that, and you know, got a job working for a magazine and started my career in journalism. And it was years later when I started a new beat at, at Forbes magazine. I started writing about the video game industry. And when this became my full-time beat, you know, as a reporter, one of the things you want to do is sort of understand, you know, the people in the industry. And so I would go to video game conventions and I would meet the big-time game designers or the CEOs of some of these video game studios. And I asked them all the same question. I said, what made you want to do this? Why did you decide to make video games for a living? And almost all of them said to me, oh, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. And it really got me thinking about like, wow, this is such, you know, I always knew the game was awesome because I played it as a kid, but I hadn't realized just how influential it was, not just on people's lives, but on the business world. And so that got me digging back into it and also got me playing again after a, you know, a very long break from, from playing role-playing games. Yeah, there is um, a, a lot of, of D&D influence steeped in not just the games industry, but 
we hear that a lot from a lot of people in any kind of creative field, like um, actors or writers or producers, directors. A lot of people credit their early days as a dungeon master with how they they learned how to craft a story. Oh yeah, it's especially a big thing in in Hollywood right now. You meet a lot of directors and writers who. You know, that's where they figured out this is what a plot looks like. This is how you keep your audience interested. You know, this is, you know, the rise and fall of action. You know, guys like John Favreau did the Iron Man movies. I mean, that's a huge director. And Favreau said explicitly, I learned how to be a director from when I was a dungeon master and when I ran these games for my friends. This, the influence is really profound. That's, that's pretty impressive. Maybe I should try being a dungeon master. I think everybody should try it at some point. I mean, I know you've been playing the game for a while now. Like, you know the rules. You know what should be happening. The key is just to jump in and and just do it. And, you know, one of the things that I found valuable, because I never really DM'd much when I was a kid, is I, uh, when I started DMing again, I took some of the the, the pre-written adventures. Like, I took the D&D 4th edition version of Tomb of Horrors, and I ran that for my friends. Because having the actual adventure there in front of you and not having to make it up off top of your head it makes it, it makes it easier to get started yeah yeah it, it definitely does and I think that there are a lot of things that you could take away from being a dungeon master that even outside of D&D but certainly I, I have acted as a DM before and I have a whole new respect for my dungeon master when I went back as a player because it is really annoying when somebody keeps asking you where are we again what are we doing <laughs> pay attention to the story come on but you kind of touched on on this a little bit about when you you were talking to video game producers and not realizing how much of D&D, how much it had influenced business. But this is something that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about just because, you know, this is my job. But we're in the 40th year of Dungeons and & Dragons, and I have yet to find a game or anything really that has influenced a generation of people as much as Dungeons & Dragons has. I mean, even if somebody doesn't play it right to, to this day or right now, they, when you talk about their experience with D&D, it's like they just go back in time to that moment. Like, like you had just said in this beginning of this interview, I remember, I remember where I was. I remember it was third grade. I remember whose house it was at. I mean, they can go back and describe the living room where they had their very first game. But what, what is it about D&D that you think has made it such a cultural mainstay? Well, I think one thing is that the, the experience is so unique. I mean, even compared to other games, you know, I love board games. I can sit down with, you know, any number of board games from Monopoly to Dungeon to, you know, whatever, and have a lot of fun with my friends. But the experience is not pulling me into the game. I never think when I'm playing Monopoly, I am the top hat. <laughs> but when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you're actually putting yourself into the story. And that means that you really experience the highs and lows of the game in a much more visceral way. You know, when your character triumphs, you triumph. When your character is in danger, you get scared. I never get scared playing Monopoly. Like, I don't want to go bankrupt, but I don't get physically <laughs> scared. But I get, you know, you get physically scared, get nervous if your character's going to die in D&D. And that's such a unique experience that I think it really sticks with people, and they remember that, and it, and it means something to them. And another thing is that it's, it's because the game is social, you play it with friends, it becomes people something people want to return to because 
I mean, it's a chance to sit down with people that, that mean something to you. And it's also something that continues over time. You know, a, a game of a board game lasts for a couple hours, but D&D gives you the opportunity to really get into the experience and to have this thing where you come back to it every single week and it just becomes more meaningful and you remember more of it over time because it becomes a bigger part of your life. If it was just for two hours, then you forgot about it and maybe came back to it a year later, it wouldn't matter to people the same way if it was like, well, this is, you know, this is this thing I do and it gets bigger and cooler and, and more interesting over time. Yeah, and it's and it's collaborative in its nature too, which is another thing I think people tend to, uh, or they don't understand about D and D because people ask me all the time, "Well, who wins? How do you win at D and D?" And it's really like, "Well, we're not competing against each other. Like, the top hat and the dog are competing against each other in Monopoly, um, but we're in D and D. Like, they're you're all together, and I think that's that's a really that's what really drew me into D and D's. I I'm not really competitive, and I just like the idea of all of us working together for something. Yeah, and the collaborative thing is really special too, because when you talk to gamers and a lot of a lot of players that I talked to when I was reporting the book, you get war stories out of them, and it's really like it's like talking to old soldiers, and they're talking about. Let me tell you about this time that we stormed a hill to attack this baby red dragon, and it's because they were all working together. They tell these stories with such, with such emotion, and they get so excited about them because, like, you know, look at what we did. We all worked together, and you know, I know when I hang out with my friends, we often are like, hey, you know, remember that time that you did this? Because it's, it's a shared experience. It's something we can laugh about. So kind of uh, going into the book a little bit more, when you were researching uh, the background of, of the game and, and people's experiences with the game, uh, how, how long were you doing actual research? How did you go about that? Were there specific people you knew you wanted to talk to? Well, it took me probably in earnest a uh, little under four years to, to get the book together. Um, a lot of the research at the beginning, you know, I dug up every book I could find uh, that talked about role-playing games and about D&D. Um, there weren't a lot of them, you know, recent ones. A lot of those books were written in the 1980s when D&D was, you know, having a big explosion and when it was talked about a lot in the news and culture and stuff like that. I also went back and I read literally every newspaper and magazine article that ever mentioned the words Dungeons and Dragons, which was fascinating. But like a lot of when I started was that just sort of figuring out, you know, what have people said and written about the game? And from there, I made a list of like, okay, these are the people I've got to talk to. You know, I need to talk to people like, like Frank Menser, who, you know, worked at TSR back in the day. I need to talk to, to Peter Atkinson. I need to talk to, uh, you know, the executives and the designers who made this game what it is. But I also realized I need to talk to the people. You know, I need to talk to the players because the game isn't just about like, it's not just, you know, a book that you publish and put out there. It doesn't really become a game until, you know, people are sitting in their living rooms and playing it with each other. So I just, I went to a lot of conventions and talked to a lot of gamers and, and played in a lot of games too. I'm sure they were very eager to tell you their stories. People love telling them. I mean, because and especially you know people who are big fans of the game because it, it means something to them. Even if they're not telling you a specific like war story, they want to talk about like, hey, you know, this is the game. I met my my wife through our D and D group, or I, you know, this is you know my social group through high school, or you know, it, people had great experiences and they want to share them. Do you have any good stories that maybe didn't make it into the book for some reason? Oh, the, yeah, I mean, there, 
there's there's tons um, i'm trying right now to go back to my notes and write up a lot of them and, and and put them on my blog um there's great war stories that you hear from people just like players there's a lot of really fun stories from um uh, when Gary Gygax was still at TSR and when he would go to conventions and he would run games for people. And there's a lot of cool stories about, you know, and a lot of the stories tend to be about how Gary killed the entire party. But because of who he was, people are really excited about, let me tell you about this time where Gary had these monsters come out and, he, and it was a total party kill, but we all loved it. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's, there's a lot of stories out there and hopefully I'll be get, able to get some of them out and on the web for people to read. So you were involved in the playtest for the, the new edition of Dungeons and Dragons, right? I was. And have you, um, so, well, I guess it's been a long time for, for all of us as we watch this game, this new edition develop and grow and now it's, it's come to fruition. So what is, what's it, what, what's your take on it now as somebody who's been involved in it from the, I'll, I'll, I'll jump a little uh, I'll jump into it a little bit here with a quote from the book. Basically, this is before the paperback edition. This is from the hardcover edition. Talking about the playtest, it needs to be simple without being stupid and efficient without being shallow, and it must encourage players to explore, create, and tell compelling stories. Mike Merles needs to capture the flavor of Dungeons and Dragons, the feeling. Everything else is just a distraction. So to mm -hmm. follow up on Shelley's question. <laughs> How do you think it did? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was that was really important. I mean, especially because I was writing this book and because I'm a business journalist, I came into the playtest really curious because I saw, all right, you know, Wizards of the Coast faces this this audience where there's generations of people who play D&D, but they all play different rules. You know, I know folks who still play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons or play White Box Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, how, what can we do to get all those people on the same page and, you know, bring them all at the same table together? And I think the, the, the new edition has been really successful with that. And I think the key was to be less worried about the actual rules and really say, you know, this is a game that's supposed to feel like an adventure. It's about setting, it's about feel, it's about capturing sort of the, the archetypal moments of a Dungeons and Dragons game. And it's about giving people the, the tools they need to tell a story together. And, you know, the little details about like how you handle uh, attacks of opportunity or how, you know, how you have spell points or whether you've got a spell book, like those things are totally secondary. What matters first and foremost is to make it feel like D and D. And I think, you know, I felt through the play test, I felt very encouraged about that. And now that the, the new rules are actually out, like, I think it really nails it. I think it feels like Dungeons and Dragons and the people I know who are didn't do the play test and are picking it up for the first time are now saying, Oh yeah, this is awesome. This feels like, you know, advanced dungeons and dragons the rules are a little different but it, it, the game is familiar enough that like okay i can pick this up i can get rolling well considering this is the D, &D podcast we're glad to hear it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh for for your book in in, uh, in particular there of dice and men why was it important for you to write that book what why did you want to have your say about the game well there was two reasons one was sort of the the business and the journalist reason which was i knew this game was important and influential and I felt like no one had really adequately explored the importance of the game and sort of made the statement of like you know, 
the entire $70 billion global video game industry owes its entire existence to Dungeons and Dragons. And these billion dollar films that come out, like they come from Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. So part of it was I wanted you know, D&D to get its due. But it was also once I started the research and I started playing again, I felt like I wanted the sort of say my piece and talk about my experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Part of it was I wanted to share my war stories. But it was also that growing up, you know, as when I played a lot of role-playing games, I always felt like I was getting something out of it beyond just having fun. Like, I always felt like, you know, playing all these games, like, this is making me more creative. This is giving me problem-solving skills. This is helping me learn how to work with a team. And that's something I wanted to, to, to put out there and also see if I could confirm, like, am I the only person who thinks that this game, you know, makes me smarter? And it turns out that it's not just, you know, me and other gamers who say that. There's real clinical research out there. There's people who've looked at role-playing games and say, yeah, these things are good for you. They're, they're educational tools as well. And, and you know, I, that was something I wanted to put out and sort of say about myself and also just about the game in general that, you know, these games are good for you. I think that's, you've heard it here from, from Dave Ewald. <laughs> These games are good for you. <laughs> I don't know but, if a doctor's going to prescribe them just yet, but hey, go and ask. Can't hurt. Yeah, there you go. We will get work. We'll get our organized play team working on that. <laughs> um, so we should also mention that with the, the paperback version of, of Dice and Men, there is a new uh, chapter essentially that you've added. There is. And there, can you tell us a little about that? There's a new afterword at the end of the book. Uh, when the book came out, and at the point where you know I stopped writing it and I sort of got locked down for publication, was just when the D&D Next playtest had started. So I sort of mentioned, okay, this is underway. But now the paperback is out. I can talk about you know what happened in the playtest, and I talk a little bit about the numbers and how many people played it, and also you know some of the things we've been talking about about you know what it feels like and if the game you know looks and and works like D&D. Uh, there's also in the afterward, you know, in the book, I talk about uh, a couple of different campaigns that I played in. The main thread is a campaign one of my friends is running here in Brooklyn, New York, and I sort of use that as a unifying story throughout the book. And so in the afterward, I talk about what's happened in that campaign. Since the book came out, I've got a lot of people come up to me and say, like, oh, what happened? Are you still guys? Are you guys still fighting? You know, have you killed the bad guys? And so I update people on that and then a little bit too on my own uh, campaign that I started running during the playtest using the D&D Next rules. That's great. Okay, so you're a player and a dungeon master. I am. I'm still running my own campaign now. I've, I haven't been doing it for too long, but uh, I have my my campaign and my storyline that's been going on for well since the since the playtest started. So it's a couple of years now, and uh, it's been going really well. And I've learned a lot about DMing. It's also been really exciting, just sort of putting a story together, you know, as a journalist and as a storyteller, I get really excited about, all right, what the plot, what is the plot going to be? You know, what am I going to throw at these guys? What are the twists and what's happening in the background? And it's been, it's been exciting to put that together. That's great. So as far as your writing goes now, I might have this, I believe I have this correctly. You are the deputy editor of special projects at Forbes right now. Is that correct? Well, right now I am a contributing editor at Forbes. I'm on a contract with Forbes. Uh, when the book came out, I went freelance. Uh, I still write for Forbes, but that gives me the opportunity to do lots more of these cool side projects like writing this book. And I have some other projects that I'm going to be working on the next year or two that are, that are super exciting. 
that's what I was leading into. Are mm -hmm. there any of those projects you would uh, like to talk about, or is there certain topics that are on your mind that you might potentially write about in the future? Well, on day to day, I still write about the game business. I have a blog where I post news, and also I write for magazines and newspapers a lot about tabletop and also about video games. I'm working on uh, a, a second book. This one is more broadly about the video game industry. And I have another project coming that sort of involves D&D in a very weird way, but oh I can't really talk about it yet, but I'm hoping to very <laughs> soon. Um, but it's going to be very cool, hopefully. Oh, I can't wait to hear that one. Great. So if people do want to read more of your writing, your blog, and so on, where would they find that? Probably the best place to go is just to my personal website, which is uh, davidmewalt.com. Um, and, you know, there's links to everything there. Uh, my blog at Forbes is there. My tweets, you know, books that I have coming out, everything will go up there, and they can, they can, they can find what I'm working on. So just to, to wrap up, because I'm assuming that because you have four years of research under your belt with this book, you must have heard some really weird, crazy things about D&D. &D. And if you were asked, what is the most, if you were asked, you're about to be asked, <laughs> let's say, what is the most bizarre factoid you've heard about D&D? &D? Or, or maybe even like a top three. Sure. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of strange stuff in the history of D&D. &D. Some of the strangeness is like the business stuff. You know, when I was learning about TSR and how, you know, the company that published D&D, &D, I was really surprised by details like TSR made so much money off of D&D, &D, they just almost bought a railroad which makes no sense, but was completely, you know, I was just blown away by like, that's really weird. Oh, uh, so, some of the so good. So it's getting back to Monopoly again. Yeah, right? yeah, it's just, totally, yeah I went there too. It's a, re it's a recurring <laughs> theme in the history of D and D. Um, I was also really surprised by some of the cultural stuff and just like how, you know, how many different people and and places D and D has played. Like um, um, when E. T. came out, which is one of the biggest movies of all time, Steven Spielberg took his young actors and brought them to the house of the, of the woman who wrote the movie and had them all play D and D. Because he wanted them to be friends, but also because he wanted oh. to watch them and sort of get a feel for like how they perform, how they improvise, and so D and D played like this weirdly important role in the creation of one of the biggest movies ever. And then there's lots of little weird pieces of trivia and things like you know you look at some of the some of the products and merchandise that have come out for D and D. You know, I was surprised to learn that there was you know an official Dungeons and Dragons sewing kit and beach oh. towels and and gummy gummy candy like little gummy bears that are shaped like D&D &D monsters and coloring books and just there's these crazy things out there that you can find and and really give you an appreciation for how how big and how weird the game has gotten yeah and you have your own gummy candy line you are <laughs> going to a whole new level there although i'm not sure who would want to eat like a like a gummy beholder or a gummy kobold it doesn't sound very appetizing I don't know. Yeah, especially if they were like, flavored to kind of match. <laughs> I kind of like the idea, the though. The like slime a, flavored yeah, gummy. Yeah, a gummy slime or maybe a gummy gelatinous, gelatinous cube. cube. Yeah. You wouldn't even yeah. have to form it. You just sort of yeah, you really pour wouldn't. it into the container. <laughs> <laughs> you do a whole line now. Maybe we should revisit. Yeah. All right. Well, this I would love to, to continue talking to you about these bizarre factoids because I'm sure you've got a, a wealth of them in there, but... We know you're busy, so we won't take up much more of your time, but we do want to thank you for being a guest on our show. Well, thank and you for guys. 
Oh, absolutely. And for those looking for your book, it is Of Dice and Men, The Story of Dungeons and Dragons and the People Who Play It. The hardcover has been out, and the uh, paperback is out as of September 9th, correct? That's right. All right. So go ahead, pick up that book. Excellent fall reading. And look for more of uh, Dave's work on his blog. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back. In our next segment, Shelley Mazenoble and Trevor Kidd will be speaking with Matt Smith, prop maker for Czar of Happiness. This is Trevor Kidd and Shelley Mazenoble on the D&D team. Uh, joining us today is Matt Smith, Czar uh, of Happiness. Matt, I'm going to let you... <laughs> it is a cool word, and we do have to get that reverb. Matt, I'm going to let you talk about what you do, because I'm just going to babble on if I try to do that. Okay. Uh, I, I'm pretty good at that, too. Uh, so I'm Matt Smith, uh, czar of happiness. Uh, I make doodads. I just make uh, props and replicas and just nifty things uh, for people, for myself. That is not um, just what you do. Yeah, it's um, one of the many things you're doing. Yeah, all kinds of different stuff. You know, whatever, whatever I can get people to ask me to build, I'll try and building. And the czar of happiness, one of his fortes, is totally underselling himself yes. because mm-hmm. your doodads are not just just little like, pipe cleaner people. No, people have seen your work, whether they know it or not. But if anybody has seen the live acquisitions ink games from PAX from PAX this year, that was just was a couple weeks ago. PAX Prime last year, 2013, and PAX Prime 2000. 12 mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. You did all of the amazing props for for those games. Um, most notably, if you guys have not checked out the live game, we're going to give away, we might give away a few spoilers. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the we're game and you don't want spoilers. anything spoiled, we know for a fact we're probably going <laughs> to give some away. Um, so maybe come back to this after you've watched it. But if you have seen it, then you may have noticed a replica of Dragon Spear Castle, which was... Um, Made literally brick by brick. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. By Matt's two stone hands. Stone by stone. Stone by stone. Yeah. So, um, we're very excited about all of the things that you've made for uh, for the D and D games, and you also did all of the props for the Gen Con Tyranny of Dragons launch party, yeah. in which we created a dragon themed museum, and there were sixteen lovingly crafted dragon themed artifacts that yeah. were also. Pretty spectacular. I think our favorite is, is the cover light. The, the dragon poop. The dragon poop. <laughs> the dragon poop let's, with the gemstone. Let's be fair here. Yeah. Everybody loves that. And we'll, we'll put pictures of all of this. Some of them are already on the D&D Facebook page, on the D&D Tumblr page, and also on our website. And also, um, we can you can see things on Matt's Facebook page, Czar of Happiness. Yeah. And the Dungeons and Dragons Facebook page is Dungeons and Dragons. The Tumblr page is D&D Wizards. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, D&D Wizards. Correct. So, and then, yeah, our website is D&D. Which we'll remind you of often. Yeah. But um, just to, to understand our, your background here. Mm-hmm. Now, at some point, like, you're just you and doodling things or, like, h- hanging out in shop class and whatever. Like, at some point, you realize or somebody tells you, you're a really good artist. Like, you're, this isn't just, like, a typical, like cutting board like you're really making something exceptionally cool here like what point were you always artistic or how did you realize like oh man i can make cool props I no this do is this the first living. time um 
I mean, like yeah. the first time anyone's this, ever this, told you this, that you're good. This, pack, yeah. this, this yeah. pack's prime was the first time. The first this, two, you were no, like, I mean, like, no one's ever like told right you're good now. enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I I really crushed macaroni ducks when I was a kid. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah, I was. I, I could use many different what, pastas. What, what about like it little sweet. hand-colored yeah, turkeys? Yeah, no, the hand oh, yeah. Yeah, turkey for Thanksgiving. It was always really good. Your uh, mom some was people like, that confused. is totally a turkey. Yeah. Yeah, totally. My mom was like, that's your hand. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you make, I forgot what they're called. I, I don't want to get this wrong and look stupid, so I'm just going to avoid saying it at all. But those, like, the cool machines that, like, do cool stuff. I like Rube Goldberg yes. machines, Did, yeah. Did you do something with one of those ones? Yeah, yeah. I like drawing those kind of things, just sort of making those up. Uh, I did those for a t-shirt design contest for a creative competition, the Odyssey of the Mind. Nice. Um, so we had a state competition to have somebody design a t-shirt, so I drew a kooky machine that was for generating ideas. Huh. Um, and then, ironically, I went into advertising, uh, and that was kind of the entire point of the job, was coming up with ideas. Oh, um, there you go. So, and then this sort of evolved from that also, just being creative. I wanted to get paid to be creative. I so thought that would be fun. always been artistic, though. Yeah. Yeah. Was, cool. was, was there a point where you realized, hey, look, I can, I can do this. I can make cool stuff. People will pay me to make oh, stuff. I think it was after I started doing stuff for costumes, like the stuff that I would bring in for the Halloween costumes here and, you know, just hanging out with friends, going to Halloween and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's when I first people were liking noticed that stuff. your artistic You made that, like, uh, Waste Wanderer outfit. Yeah. Like, Librarian, I think is actually what it was or something, because you have the, the books. It's, it is, I don't know, it's, it's so hard what I can and can't say. It is a... It's, it's a character in a popular digital game that has to do with post-apocalyptic worlds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A post-apocalyptic wasteland trader costume with all sorts of props. Wait a minute. We're being a little too vague. He was a dude who was from a vault. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it a little bit clearer yeah. as well. Yeah. But it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen as far as costumes here. I yeah. was like, holy crap. Your costumes were always way better than, than everyone else's. Which says a lot, because we're very it creative. It does. There's, some really There's a lot of great costumes here. around here, but everybody was like, oh, still, Matt's not going to win again. I still remember <laughs> I still remember the meeting that I walked by that had everybody in. I looked, I looked in the meeting room. This is a serious meeting. Uh, but everybody in the meeting room was dressed up as characters from Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that costume, too. I was a serial killer monster. Yeah. Or a go. monster serial killer. I suppose it depends on where you put the comma. Nightmare on Sesame Street. Street. Yeah. 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 Uh, So I'm going to sidetrack a little bit from the topic, which the topic is cool props that Matt makes. Because I want to talk about Matt playing D&D. I had the pleasure of playing with Matt uh, years ago, actually. It's been a while now. Yeah. When we were in Perkins games together. Yeah. But I want to know, how did you get into D&D? Because I know some of this, but I'd like to hear the story. (laughs) Um, So I'm really old. (laughs) I got into D&D because I wanted to play the game. And, you know, on the back of comic books and magazines, there used to be those ads to sell, you know, bundles of cards to people. Mm-hmm. And then you, you would... were a copywriter, even then, looking at those ads. <laughs> well, yeah, comic book ads were awesome. Do you remember the D&D ads? In... Oh, they were awesome. I don't think they I remember cartoon them. ones. Um, we always wanted to do those, but never got to. Um, no, so they used to have this thing you could send off, they'd send you a catalog of greeting cards, and then you would go door to door, hassling everybody in your neighborhood oh my to buy, you know, these just horrible How greeting cards. How old were cards. you at this point? Uh, 
I guess I would have been around 11 or 12, because oh, that's about when I started. Oh, 11-year-old Matt Smith coming yeah. to your door, <laughs> selling greeting cards. Yeah, just before you realized. You can't do that stuff uh, nowadays. No, I don't think you could. No, like I would have least. that kid arrested. Yeah, like, there's a weirdo like, on my porch. There's some weird 11-year-old on my porch. <laughs> but, you know, it was a great scam. The company, you know, had, you know, all these kids out there in the world selling greeting cards you know, door to door. And I don't know, there were probably some that were, you know, really trying hard to get, you know, a bike. I like how you referred to the, the Girl Scout car. model as a scam. That was great. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, the, the, that's an entirely different scam. And it's an even better one. All right. But this is more like the Cutco knife thing where you get people oh God, I sold those. Um, selling, you know, really? stuff. Yeah, they're, they're actually, I still they're use awesome. I still I, I, use I, I, I will still recommend them to anybody. Yeah. Like, so wait, we're not selling Cutco yeah. on this, com- on this um, podcast. Not sponsoring this podcast. But, so, so you'd go door to door selling the cards. Each bundle of cards you sold, each unit was worth one point, And then you accrued X number of points. And then you could get your prize. And the cool bit was you got your prize before the cards came in. <laughs> um, so I sold exactly 12 bundles of cards which got me the D&D basic set. Oh, nice. And, you know, then sat around reading the books, going on that little solo adventure again and again and again, you know, fighting Bargle the wizard. (laughs) Um, You know, until I talked my brother and the next-door neighbor into starting to play D&D. And then, of course, I probably ended up playing D&D like everybody does, where you're just ridiculously broken characters with, you know, five or six artifacts each, (laughs) you know, making up horrible things, and it was really bad. And, you know, so then it sort of fluctuated, played a little bit in college. And then when I got here to Wizards, then I had the chance to join Chris Perkins' game. Yeah. Um, And... That's that like just, the ultimate. It really it was. was really fun. Yeah. It yeah. was really, really fun. Yeah. I helped him uh, playtest one module, and I guess I did a good enough job. He asked me to to play in the game. That's cool. Oh, that was like your star. audition. It, I think it was. So yeah. if he ever yeah. I didn't even know you were being auditioned. He yeah. secretly auditions you for things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never been asked, so yeah. I have clearly not. Well, I have failed, I have failed my auditions. To be in, you know, I'd yeah. probably you I'd choke and just. Well, the rumor is that, you know, the line is just immensely long yeah. to get in. That's yeah, what the waiting heard. list. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. They'll probably bribe him, though. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. Like, so how he would you like to, to not work, you know, 60, 70-hour weeks? They're working, yeah. really, they're working really hard right now for yeah. the, the DMG stuff. So. That's that's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came to Wizards, mm-hmm. did you did you target Wizards as a place to work because of your history with D&D? Or yeah, it was just no, it was specific. I, I was actually in uh, upstate New York uh, All right. you know, working at an agency. Yeah, I lived north of Binghamton. I yeah. was in Syracuse. Um, and I was actually tracked down the Wizards of the Coast website so I could be one of the people that whined that the software was not Mac-friendly. <laughs> oh. You know, because I was in advertising we work on Macintosh. We don't work on a, on a PC because we need all the graphics and stuff. Right. And it was when we were coming out with, or when Wizards, TSR, no, Wizards, was coming out with the Forgotten Realms Atlas and the second edition rules and, you know, it's all kinds of stuff, but it was only on PC. And so I just wanted to send in an email that said, you know, hey, I have a Mac and money and I would <laughs> like to, to put them both together and, you know, use them for D&D. And while I was screwing around on the website, I saw career opportunities and clicked on that and saw that 
they were looking for a copywriter for Dungeons and Dragons, and so I was like, "Wow!" You wrote a really well written complaint email. Yeah. That no, I, I, had, I had already. Okay, this complainer yeah. has excellent. I had already sent skills. off that horrible, horrible email. I am going to um, tell our listeners at home: don't do that. Yeah, like like all those guys who who uh, who are out there in social media in the forums, and they're like, blah 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 blah. You guys did this horrible thing, a horrible thing, a horrible thing. You should hire me. That doesn't that doesn't really work. Yeah, I no, mean, that, like that I'm just gonna put that out. <laughs> no, no, I just sent that in because I figured it was one of those. You know, once you. Maybe once you accrue enough people saying, I would like this format, maybe they'd yeah. come out with it. Um, but then I started looking around the site, saw the thing, and was like, wow, there's nobody in the world more qualified for this job than me. Nice. And, you know, so sent in my portfolio and, uh, you know, actually added a little bit to my uh, normally really short cover letter. Um, Hi, I'm Matt, period. Yeah, normally it would have said, you know, like, you know, dear, you know, person in charge, I'm writing this, the obligatory cover letter to let you know beneath it lies my samples of my work. I look forward to meeting you to show you the rest. Yeah, it's just a couple that are memorized. That's pretty impressive. Well, it's, you know, four (laughs) sentences long. Uh, But, you know, added in that I'd started playing D since I was 12, D&D since I was 12, played, you know, every edition uh, through that whole time, and... Uh, I guess it worked. It did. Yeah. There you are. We've got your history. Back to the cool stuff. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't care about your history anymore. I got bored about five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm fascinated. Yeah, we, we, we can edit that out. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no. Other people will like it. Uh, so what? It's not me. <laughs> yeah, just, 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 just not, not just me. not me. And by it's the way, everybody, me. that's Carrington. He's pretty awesome. He's manning the he's manning the uh, board today, so I don't have to. He does a much better job of Thank it than you, I do. Um, uh, so you worked on a lot of stuff for us. What's yeah. the coolest? Let's start with let's start with us because we're we, I like us. Yeah. What's the coolest thing you've done for us the, for D and D? The battle balloon. Like the Battle oh, Balloon yeah. this year? I really like building the Battle Balloon. Everybody's going yeah. for that battle. So the Battle Balloon, <laughs> yeah. Let's, the Battle Balloon is this prop that Matt made for this year's 2014's Acquisitions Inc. game at PAX Prime this year. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss returns as, oh man, I'm blanking, uh, Viari. Uh, and he does, he's off stage, and then the Battle Balloon comes out, and Viari's manning it, and it's, it's this really badass airship that he somehow acquired uh, and it comes in to save the day uh, but yeah Matt when we were had the contract Matt was like I want to do this thing and I'm like okay we put the contract there for it and like he, he shows me the, his plans I'm like holy crap Matt <laughs> um, but yeah you ended up pulling off I think what you wanted to build with that it it turned out better than the the drawings I started with mm-hmm. um, yeah when uh, Chris and I sat down to talk about what he wanted he had you know let me in that we were going to have the the secret guest star float in on, you know, maybe a hot air balloon. And then I suggested maybe instead of just a regular hot air balloon, the gondola is more interesting than just a basket. You know, maybe we make it, you know, a ship of some sort. And that sounded cool. And then so I just started wanting to weaponize it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And put bumper stickers on it. Oh, the bumper sticker was amazing. Tiny little bumper stickers. I think think we have the picture up on our Tumblr, which is D&D Wizards. Uh, But if we don't, we need to get it up. But it's a little, it's a a tiny little made-to-size bumper sticker that says my other ride... Was McAllister. Yeah, is is, is McAllister. I always say Mecha Hallister because I I always want to be like, you know... Like it's a Godzilla thing, Mecha Lester. I always said Mecha Lester. <laughs> Mecha Lester. Yeah, um, that sounds a little bit too close to something that I don't want to say yeah. right now. 
but but yeah, the other ride is McAllister, and then there's a little Forgotten Realms, uh, you know, oval sticker like the mm-hmm. European yeah. uh, country stickers. Someone walked up to me and was like, "Why is why is that a France sticker?" <laughs> I think France is just F. I think it is I, too. I looked up to make sure that FR was not an official oval, but it should be. Uh, it should be. Now, now, should now be. we're gonna have to have. Yeah, that was... That's kind of our job, actually, if we want to make that happen. He motorized it. So let's see here. How long did it take you to make that? Just that that prop. Don't think about the castle. (laughs) A month and a half? Looking at his calendar. Do you know how many hours you you spent on that one? A month and a half. I... Oh, no, yeah. We we did this thing where I contacted Matt in June. I was like, hey, could you do all this stuff? And plus he was doing all the Gen Con stuff. Yeah. 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 That was... That was a lot to pull off all at once. And you did it. Um, and you're still talking to us. I know. <laughs> and he wants well, to, I he to do, to do it again. <laughs> this was cool stuff. Um, no, so I started the, the castle first, and then once it was going and the the uh, Gen Con props were getting in order, then I started in on the, on the battle balloon. And I have no idea when I started in. Yeah. So... That kind of brings up a question that, like, what is the what is your process for working with a client? Whether it's us, you can use us as an example if you want. But I'm sure. just curious about like, it went, how it starts and all who you're talking to and how much back and forth there is. It sounds like you had some you have say in not just a hot air balloon. It should be like this and yeah. And then what? Well, that that's the cool bit is you know sometimes there's a very specific thing that we want to do. Um, like the like, well, like the the stalker sphere that we did for, uh, or that I did for Kaijudo. You know, it was very specific. I had reference for that, and so I wanted to make it as close to that as possible. Um, then other things, they're a little bit more artistic freedom or license with stuff. If we're not looking for, mm-hmm. you know, an exact replica on something, right? Uh, then there's some some back and forth play with things and that's kind of the the cool bit working with people that I know uh, or people that and working on an IP that you're very very familiar with very very familiar <laughs> with yeah um, so normally it would just be a, a conversation you know somebody would say hey I'm looking for somebody to do something like this can you do that and I'd say yeah I can pull that off or let's chat some more so I can find out you know yeah. exactly what you're looking for because you know maybe you really should be going somewhere else for, you know, whatever you're doing. Or if I can pull it off, you know, let's look at it from this direction or that direction. Here are some different options for how I could go about doing that. Um, and then once I get kind of nailed down, I'll either drop a blueprint for it, you know, just little line drawings and stuff. So it's good and clean and clear and what we're looking for. And then make tweaks to that. And then a lot of times I have that sitting off to the side while I start building stuff. And Sometimes in the middle of constructing, it deviates a bit, uh, either because it needs to to work mm-hmm. better, differently, or I think of something that would improve it. Uh, but always staying true to the spirit of what we're looking for. You know, That's so, cool. Um, I think the original drawing of the battle balloon just had uh, a spearhead on the ship's prow. Um, that was my original thought for just making it something that maybe you would steer into a dragon. <laughs> and then he eventually which, makes a which, tiny, tiny harpoon did. gun. Yeah, and then I decided that, you know, that was cool, but wouldn't it be better to be able to, you know, have the ship facing one way and fire a harpoon elsewhere? Um, yes. So then I did Why, the harpoon yes, gun would. and, you know, all that other junk. 
And you even got to be on stage for a minute. That was really cool. Yeah. The Benaroya Hall is <laughs> immense. What does it look like from that perspective? Uh, it was, well, so. It was cool from the audience. At that point in time, I couldn't even see the audience yeah. because of the house lights. But yeah. before the, the lights were on, or the stage lights um, were on, I don't know how many balcony levels that There's place so has. Much, I mean, it's it, like five or yeah. six. Yeah. It looks like it just fits so many people. I mean, it's about, what? 2600 or something like that, 2700. Like that, yeah. But like on that stage looking up, you're like, it's an infinite amount of balconies. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how is it's this huge. possible? It's like something out of an Amadeus yeah. or out of Amadeus, you know, just this huge opera house. Did you get a picture uh, of yourself on the throne up on stage? You I had did. To have. Yeah. But yeah, it, yeah, was, it was unflattering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the throne was cool. The table was cool. I mean, everything came together for that show really, really well. Oh, by the way, uh, spoilers. We're going to talk about the live game on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I think we. I mean, we, we might have spoiled everything at this point. Well, no, no. Not, 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 not all of the content. The special guest, I guess we did. Yeah, well, it's fine. Listen, if, if you've gotten this far and you're still listening and you haven't seen that, you should probably stop and go, and go watch that, uh, that video. It's up on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah, oops. <laughs> Sorry. Nah, nah. It's oh, well. statute of limitations on that. Like, come on now. True. Yeah, Bruce Willis is dead the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise ending. Yeah. Um. So if you had your dream job, this well, maybe this is your dream job, creating cool it's props. It's fun making things. Yes. Yeah. If you could make any D&D &D dungeon, which one would you choose? I guess I won't even limit it. Oh, you're no. gonna say Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors right. is probably yeah, yeah, yeah. probably the one that would be really fun. Now, would you would you like trick it out to I work like the, say, like the Tomb yes. of Horrors? Uh, well, yeah. Like, you actually like make the, people the, disappear. The, 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 yeah. Little, little pit traps in that first hallway, and all the traps in that first hallway, and then. Well, and I actually I've been working on my own little sphere of annihilation <laughs> at nice. home. Like uh, in, in his spare time, he's trying to figure out some kind of new. This is why we need yeah. can, you need yeah. to hire him to do something when he has too much yeah. time on his hands. <laughs> it's going to get dangerous. I'm trying to keep him busy all summer. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the year it's up to you folks. Yeah, no, I think it would be fun. I mean, you know, there's the you know the big green devil demon face, yeah, coral, yeah. and a bunch of other things that are just really cool and iconic about it. And then the opportunity to do more special effects, you know. Uh, Lighting and fog and stuff like that would be really fun to do. You oh, know, even yeah. on a tiny scale, it'd be really neat. It'd be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Was it last year, or the year before? I forget where you did the like kind of homage to the original statue with the the gems in the eyes. From, yeah. From the old school books. Yeah, that was two uh, years back. And then uh, <laughs> the big reveal was a big pit of acid. <laughs> yeah. Just just for AOFL. Just for AOFL. Yeah. 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 So that was that was really cool. And then the the flame and the brazier. Which worked really cool oh, whenever yeah. you're not inside an immense hall with a really powerful uh, HVAC unit. Uh, <laughs> th that fire really, well really did deck. work. It worked really fine, <laughs> really did. awesomely here in the office. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks super sweet uh, in my workshop, <laughs> at home, in the wizard's offices. Sitting next to my desk. It, it was really cool. still awesome. Yeah. And then after that, it was Mecha Halister. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, since lights are cool. Uh, we made the little flashing gem for the disintegration ray in his hand yep. and then lit the eyes so they would glow uh, Man, all not, the time. Now I want you to make this two more horrors, though. I know. Yes. I do, too. I need to talk to Perkins about having two more horrors be in next year's live game so I can get <laughs> well, Matt, so I can commission Matt. Oh, yeah. But, like, you see how big the castle is. Where would we keep this stuff? Keep it at our desk. Anyway. <laughs> 
We just build it modularly. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually everybody gets a room. You could turn my desk <laughs> into the Tomb of Horrors. Nice. That would be cool. Just make a, yeah. In, in order to speak with Shelley, you have to enter. <laughs> you must. Yeah. You must navigate these passages. Get vaporized. You would get a lot of work done. Actually, I would. If, yeah. would if you do the live game, though, we'll have to probably eliminate the one portal that they go through and come out the other side, completely stripped of all of their equipment and clothing. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't want that as part of my cubicle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Or the live game. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we have to put a different kind of warning. Yeah. For that game, yeah. I guess. <laughs> True. Is, you might be able to turn. This is an adult mission. podcast. No, really, yeah. this is an adult <laughs> podcast. No, really. Uh, so one of the other things that I remember you working on were the the little dragon ducks. Yeah. Yeah. For the Renton River Days. Yeah. I think that was the first thing I remember Matt working on. The blue one. Yeah. That was the first one I remember working on. Ever like every ever here. Like besides the little props that we did for like April Fool's Day, which I still have one on my desk at home, by the way. Really? I still have the D and D clean wipes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those were cool. Yeah, the ducks were rubber ducks that you would you turned into dragons and they were used as part of this promotion for a summer festival here. Yeah. Yeah, they were like football-sized yeah. rubber ducks. Yeah. And they just had them random, well, not randomly, but placed all over town with the idea that people would go around like scavenger hunt style looking for them. So you'd get familiar with the city and all yeah. that stuff. And then they would gather them all for the weekend of the festival to have all of the, the rubber ducks on display. And each business that sponsored one was invited to decorate it. And so this oh, was this okay. was the first year Naturally. they had done that, and you know so some of them had decorated them by putting sunglasses on them or a cute bandana. Oh, and then and you swoop in. And then I came in and turned it into a little blue dragon. <laughs> we, yep. It was next to little ducks with sunglasses and bandanas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. Well, you know, and it was it was it was the first year, so I don't think anybody really had a sense of what they could yeah. do. You know, yeah. so they they made a gesture towards it. The second year, the competition was much higher. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, because they they realized you set what the they had to do. The second year, no yeah. companies would participate except Wizards of the Coast. No. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been much better. Um, but no, it was it was really close. There were there were some much more elaborately uh, decorated ducks. Um, some of them started having little. Uh, dioramas with them, nice. little oh, nests it's like, and stuff. Like peeps, like marshmallow peeps. Yeah. yeah. And Ooh, then. Could you do something with marshmallow peeps? <laughs> I could totally do something with marshmallow yeah. peeps. All right, so yeah. we're going to build the, the Tomb of Horrors um, and we're going to have peep, marsh- peep monsters. Out of marshmallow yeah. peeps. Yeah. yeah. That could be in a like Monster Manual 2 or 3. Are they a good medium to work with? I mean, uh, well, they, they come in a moldable. lot of different colors. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know. I you think could, this is our best tangent by far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> um, all right, so maybe maybe on that note, then yeah, sure. we start, and on we start wrapping miniature up. Miniature Pete Monsters. Yeah. So tell us again where people can go, other than our website and our Tumblr, but where can people go to, to find out more about you and see more of your work? And So right now, probably the, the best place to go would be just the czarofhappiness.com. Uh, URL, which redirects to Facebook. Okay. Um, and then on Facebook, if you just look for Czar of Happiness Props, it'll take you there also. Okay. Um, we'll I've got it. a portfolio on deviantart.com, and that's just Czar of Happiness also. And that's just just pictures yeah. um, of finished work. On Facebook, I've got some of the work in progress stuff, so you can see 
cookie sheets filled with Sculpey rocks. You, you, <laughs> oh. know, you can see the the towers that are you know cardboard and foam. And I feel like you, I mean I want to mention this. You have a minion who who works yes. with you as well. Do you want to give yeah. a shout out to her? Yeah. No. So I have uh, a minion. Uh, Melanie works with me on a lot of this stuff. Um, you know she was making tiny beds and oh, those were really cute tons too. of little rocks and all kinds of stuff. Um, so a lot of these things I couldn't pull off in time without somebody to help, oh, yeah. you know, with some of that stuff. Um, she's got a good sense of design and I, I think I actually like some of the, some of the stonework she did on the towers more than the stuff <laughs> I did. Um, you're hurting yourself. No, no yeah. she has a good knack. Yeah, you can I, tell. I can totally tell. Those yeah, really good rocks are yeah. totally hers. I knew. I'm I can like, totally oh, tell. Matt well, did this one. And I, I really uh, was torn on wanting to keep up with the rocks because the uh, the Goblin Temple from the first edition player's handbook mm-hmm. diorama has 1,116 one inch squares. Oh, God. Because uh, those were all. That was before I realized I could just buy tile and cut it to fit like I did this time. Those were actually sculpted uh, in Sculpey, you know, at a very specific uh, thickness and then cut to one inches and, you know, trimmed and made to fit and all that. And that was, that occupied all of her time during that entire thing. I I did everything else because she was busy cutting all the tiles, gluing them in place. So the Um, good good takeaway from all this... Uh, for you folks at home, is that Matt is incredibly detail-oriented. Yeah. <laughs> Matt What's and his that? team, incredibly yeah. detail-oriented. Not yeah. not that he did it the wrong way the first time he did this, but that they were really paying attention to that detail, and they've learned from their uh, long endeavor. That yeah, time. each, each one gets better, yeah. and then I find other things to over-engineer each time. In yeah. a few years, my son is going to be your intern. I hope you're okay with that. Sure, sure, sure yeah. As soon as we don't have to worry about choking hazards and all that stuff, <laughs> but... He's like I want him barely to learn over how one. To do this. I think like, it would be fun though to have like a if you were a kid to like work with a props master. No, it'd be great. Like have a, a toddler game. playing with You're the bandsaw. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's how they learn. It's true. I mean, yeah. It's a Darwinian thing. <laughs> I said in a few years, okay? Yeah. I'm not totally irresponsible. So yeah, and Matt, I mean, we we've talked a lot about like his his sculptures that he does for us and his stuff that he does does for us, but he also does a lot of uh, costume type related stuff. Like I know mm-hmm. that he did like for video game costumes and for all sorts of other stuff. So definitely check out his site. Uh, also check out our YouTube channel because you can see his props from that was in ink games oh. in in use and motorized with the the, the, the uh, battle balloon, and that's just the Dungeons and Dragons uh, YouTube channel. So. We're um, very excited about your work, as you can tell. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we definitely wanted to have you have you on. <laughs> we should probably wrap this up, though. But yeah, you can definitely contact Mac through his stuff, uh, and we know how to hook you up with him. But seriously, just go to his site, which is Zarp Happiness, um, and check him out. Thanks. I think we're gonna have to send Matt off. You're welcome. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now get back to work. All, All right. right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thank you, Matt. <laughs> thank we'll you. We'll see you next time. All right. <laughs>